following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Would I'd ask you to stand with me as we read God's Word in reverence for Holy Scripture. Let brotherly love continue. Do not de- neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let us pray. Lord, we pray now you take your word, apply it to our hearts and lives. We ask, as the psalmist said, Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your law. Teach us and help us and encourage us. Lord, we certainly pray that in all these things you receive glory and honor. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Might be seated. If you do have your Bibles open, you notice that when you come to chapter 13 of Hebrews, you've come to the end of the book. Our writer has already finished all the statements that he's going to make, all his doctrinal teachings, uh, concluding there in chapter 12. And therefore, chapter 13 is somewhat like an, a postscript to his writing. If we wanted to outline the chapter, we might look at it like this. The first six verses are some moral precepts that he gives us. Verses 7 through 17 are some religious precepts. Verses 18 and 19, a prayer request. Verses 20 and 21, a very beautiful benediction. And then verses 22 through 25, a farewell and some uh, uh, finishing up some other uh, statements that he needs to make. But our concern is with the first six verses. These are precepts, our commands, if you would, given to Christians. They reflect God's will for our lives, how God would have us live. So they're going to be important for us to uh, pay attention to God's word and seek with God's help and by God's grace to add these particular things to our own particular Christian walk. So let's look at them together. Verse 1, the command is love one another. In the Greek text, that word brotherly love is actually one word in Greek as uh, it is a combination of the word brother, love and a brother that just put together making brotherly love. Now, when God created human beings, he created them in his image, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean we look like him physically. 
That's not the case at all. But there are certain traits that God has that in creation of man, he gave those to man. Uh, there are some traits that God has that humans do not have, never will have, can't have. For instance, omnipresent, that's not us. It's how God is, but it's not us. And we won't be that way. There's other traits like that. But there are some that God has that human creatures have. Theologians call these communicable attributes. We don't have them to the same degree and depth that God has, but yet they're similar traits. Love is one of those. God is a God of love, the Bible plainly tells us, and human beings are created that they can love. So the first persons that God made were, as far as human beings could be, they were loving people. But when they fell into sin, that affected them and affected every human being since, so that we are no longer loving creatures. We are, as Martin Luther would say, we are caved in on ourselves. We're selfish and self-centered. And although occasionally there's flashes of love that might show, reflecting that we are in God's image, for the most part, humans are not loving beings, not loving creatures, as they should be and as God would have them be. But when one becomes a Christian, God touches their heart, touches their lives, makes changes there, giving us the capacity then to love as God created us to love. And not only does he give us that capacity as we are born again, but he also gives us power in the Holy Spirit that we might be loving people. So as Christians, we, like none other, are able to love Now, first and foremost, obviously, we should be loving God, loving with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. But not only are we to love God, but we are also to love other people. And for us as Christians, not only just love other people, we are particularly to love other Christians. We have the same Savior. We're in the same spiritual family. We refer to each other as spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so, therefore, we are to have, as this verse tells us, brotherly love. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. In this, all people will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. This new commandment that Jesus gives is not the commandment to love. That was given much before then. It is a commandment to love those whom Jesus loved. That's what makes it new. And to love them with the same depth of love that he loved them and love them because he loved them. And as verse 35 tells us, this loving of fellow believers, one for the other, is to be a mark of true Christians. Um, the Lord says, by this, all, this means the world, all will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. Tertullian, a very ancient Christian, back in the early centuries of the faith, in some of his writings recorded some comments by heathen. And the comment he recorded is this. The heathen said, speaking of Christians, see how they love one another. 
And I would wonder if our neighbors, let's say, look at our church, would they be saying, see how they love one another? Well, we would hope so, wouldn't we? But uh, it is to be our mark that we are to love Christians. And one, I think one reason the Lord calls us particularly to love fellow believers is that the church is a good place to start. We're in the same family. We have so much in common. And this is a good place where we can learn to love people loving one another. And then uh, from that, we can branch out and learn to love others. So the Lord's command to us then is clearly have brotherly love. Love one another. Peter would tell us love one another fervently from a pure heart. We pray we do that. So we've got a little group. Here we are this morning. We're right here. Are you loving? As the Lord calls us to do. You loving others? You really loving them with a fervent love, caring for them? I think what we might need to do is pray and ask God to help us to love as we should. And give us and make it our desire and make a real effort to love people. To reach out to them in love. And if you need any good reason, here's one. The Lord commands us, have brotherly love. The second commandment we see is in verse 2. Love strangers. Um, says, uh, the, the, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That phrase, hospitality to strangers, in the original Greek text is just one word. It's another of those combinations. It's the word love again, and the word guest or stranger that's pushed together. And so uh, it's love strangers are sometimes translated show hospitality. Now, we think that uh, when we have somebody, one of our friends over for a meal or for coffee that we're really showing hospitality. Well, it's a totally different deal in the New Testament times. For you see, in the ancient world of New Testament Christianity, inns or hotels or motels, whatever you'd like to call them, were not very good places. Wasn't just that they were not clean and had bugs, uh, but morally they were bad. And there were places that you really wouldn't want a dear Christian that to have to stay in such a place as that. I'd guess we could probably find a motel or two in Roseburg. We wouldn't really like a dear Christian brother to have a visiting pastor to have to stay in. But nonetheless, uh, what they were told to do is that when some Christian passes through your town and they need to spend the night so that they wouldn't have to stay in these very bad places. You take them in your home. You may not know them at all. Maybe strangers to you, but they're Christian brothers. You take them in and you love strangers. Well, our society is quite a bit different today and we have some very nice places people could stay, so that's not the issue. But the word is still that we are to love the strangers. And so I would ask you this morning, do you think in this congregation today, there are any strangers, people here that really don't know anybody, maybe their first or second time, they've not really not met many people, they don't know anyone, uh, they're, they're lonely, they've just, here they are, maybe they're searching, but do you think there's anyone like this? 
today here. Now, I remember very well the first time, five and a half years ago, my wife and I came to this church. We sat right back there. We didn't know one single soul. Nobody. Didn't know the name. We didn't know anybody. We had no clue. We just came. And I remember very well the first people that spoke to me when we were here, when we were here, strangers. It was Nina Bryant and Kevin Saylor. I remember that. And the next week we came, you can't imagine how what touched I was when Nina Bryant remembered my name and called me by name. And a few weeks later, a family in this church invited my wife and I to their home for lunch. Now, they didn't know us from anybody. They didn't know anything about us. They just, they just knew we were strangers. We were new. We were lonely. And they had us to their home. Alan and Connie Smith were who they were. And I remember that. Because it makes a difference. There's some strangers here today. What are we called to do about that? I know how the tendency that we have to want to visit with our friends and the people we know, and and there's nothing wrong with that. And I I know how, how it is to be shy around someone you don't know. But the command of the Lord still stands for us today. Love the stranger. The third one is found in verse 3, care for the hurting. The verse says, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. Um, Now, there's a few people that I pray for, a few prisoners that I pray for, but this this passage is talking about Christians that are in jail, in jail for their faith, because in some of those early centuries, there were periods of persecution of Christians. And to be imprisoned was a very difficult thing. Prisons weren't nice in those days. Uh, You were going to be cold. You were going to be hungry. You very well may be greatly mistreated. And so for a fellow Christian to be there uh, in jail, well, you need to remember them. It's more than just think of us. Oh, yeah, they're in jail. But it means to reach out and try to help them and visit for them and pray for them and maybe take them a blanket if they'd let you in and give them a little bit of extra food if they would allow that and try to meet the needs of those prisoners that were suffering. He says, uh, because you're in the body, of course, you're in the body of Christ. We're talking about fellow Christians here. But uh, I think probably what he's meaning by that phrase is that you're in the physical body. You know what it's like. To, to be mistreated, to be cold, to be hungry, to suffer. You know what it feels like. And therefore, uh, you should, you can sympathize with these and you can weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. Uh, and who knows, the day might come when you would find yourself in the very same position. Well, again, our 
situation in this country is different today. There are places in the world, obviously, where Christians are still imprisoned for their faith, but the United States is not really one of those. But yet, there's still people, and I would suggest to you there's some right here this morning in this place where we are that are hurting, that are mistreated, that are suffering, whether physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually, and they are sufferers right here among us. And you regularly, you can't tell just by looking at them that they're in that place. But sometimes God, gracious, will, will bring you across one of these people and you'll find of their sufferings and their hurts. And what should you do? Just like our verses, you should remember them. In other words, you should pray for them and maybe pray with them and try to reach out to them and try to encourage them and uh, maybe help meet their needs, whatever they might be, and in whatever way you can. We're to care for these hurting and these suffering people. The next one is in verse 4. Sexual purity. That fourth verse is uh, the first few phrases. There's no verb in the Greek text. It literally reads marriage, honorable, the bed, undefiled. And you're supposed to supply the verb. Now, it could be a declarative sentence. Marriage is honorable. The bed, the marriage bed is undefiled. In fact, that's the exact way that the old King James translation does it. Or it could be a command, as the ESV gives it, let marriage be honorable. Let the bed be undefiled. And I think that's the correct way. Uh, being we're in the midst of some commands or some precepts, and we assume this verse would be um one also. Now, out where I live, south, past Winston, past Dillard, up in the mountains, off the grid, uh, my little community up there was greatly influenced uh, by hippies of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And there are a lot of people in our community that just don't get married. They just live together. Some of them have lived together for years and years and years and just never gotten married. Sometimes when there's difficulties, well, you just split it. You don't have to get a divorce. You're not married, so that's easy. So you just leave, and some of those will leave one and take up with another one and live with them for a while. And, um, of course, on occasion, there's children involved, and that can be a very difficult situation and not so good. But I would tell you today that uh, marriage is not some opinion of man to either be taken or rejected. It's not something that just has evolved out of maybe human desires or needs and they just came up with this social institution called marriage. No. Marriage is ordained of God. He is its founder. He is the one who's established it. He is the one who gives the principles for it. And God has very clearly said that when two people live together, a man and a woman live together, they're to live in the confines of marriage. 
And marriage, the state of marriage, is a very honorable thing because it is ordained by God and it is God's way to do it. So it is honorable. Now, you that are single, now God has already blessed and sanctified the state that you're in because the Lord Jesus Christ himself was single and you can't find better uh, uh, statements for it than that. But nonetheless, even a single person, you need to consider marriage as an honorable thing. It is God's way for it to be done. And marriage is not to be defiled, as our passage tells us. And as we read the text, trying to take it in its context, the defiling of marriage that is spoken of here is to defile it sexually. When one of the partners in the marriage is unfaithful and has sexual relationships outside of the marriage bonds. Um, For God's will is very clear. All sexual relationships are to take place within the confines of marriage. And so um, to defile the marriage is to have sex outside of marriage. A married person to have sex outside of marriage. Now, God is very serious about this. You'll notice in the last part of that, of this particular verse, he speaks of adulterers, those who are adulterous. In other words, to to commit adultery is for a marriage partner to have sex with someone not your mate. That's adultery. The other word, sexual immorality, is a more general term, um, we actually get our word pornography from that Greek word. It is a word that the old King James used to that regularly translate fornication, which isn't a very pleasant sounding word. And maybe for that very reason, we should have kept it. But this is any type of sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. So this includes sexual relationships between people that are not married. It includes pornography. It includes improper touching. It includes watching movies that are sexually explicit, listening to songs with sexual lyrics. Um, on and on we might go. Anything that is not that is sexual outside the bonds of marriage is sexual immorality. And notice what our passage says: God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. He is very serious about this matter. Now, a few, a bit ago, I can't recall how long, a very prominent Christian minister passed away. Uh, I'd heard him speak back like 30 years ago, or I'm not not sure, a long time. I still recall his voice, and I recall the passage that he spoke from, even over this period of time. I regularly listened to his radio program because it was so helpful and so really so powerful. He was often in college and universities speaking to college children and defending the Christian faith. Um, uh, he wrote some of the most very, very helpful books. He, uh, his ministry developed basically worldwide. He had branches just all over the place. Um, and a most respected minister. But he caught cancer. He came down with cancer and eventually passed away. And not too long after he died, it was discovered that this particular minister was sexually impure. Not only did he have 
one affair, but he had affair after affair after affair. Had a mistress involved in many other sexual types of uh, activities. Nobody had a clue about this. Of course, his wife and children were absolutely crushed when this was discovered. And they, they shut down his ministry. They've taken his books off the shelf. They're in the process of shutting down his ministry. Um, the name of Christ was hurt, you may be certain. His family, of course, crushed in oh, many believers, myself being one of them, were very affected by this. And here's here's what I here's what I thought. I thought if it can happen to this man, who I greatly respected and looked up to and tried to learn from, if it can happen to him, it could happen to me. And it could happen to you. The sexual drive is very powerful. And God is very clear on his desire for sexual purity of his people. And so it's going to be very important for us to guard our hearts, to ask God for help regularly. We just can't say, oh, it could never happen to me. We can't take this lightly. Going in the type of world and society that we live in, we must be on our guard. We must have divine help. Um, we must have others Help us, keep us into account that our lives might be as God would have them to be, pure and honorable before him. The final uh, commandment in verses 5 and 6 is contentment. Actually, this is made up of two different parts. The first part is do not love money. That's the first part. Um, implying that you're never going to be content if that's where it is for you. Uh, it's made up, this phrase, do not love money, is actually one word in Greek made up of this time of three words. There's an A or we'd say an odd in Greek, uh, which negates a statement. Then there's the word love again, and then the word, the word silver. And so you just crush those together and make not love silver or not love money. We might expand that, I think, as the context would for us, not love material possessions. Now, I'm not saying in any way that a Christian shouldn't enjoy the bountiful blessings that God so richly pours out upon us. There should be no one should enjoy the blessings of life more than a Christian person. And I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't desire a new job if you want one, or a new car, a new house, I'm not saying that. The key to this is the word love. When the desire for material things becomes your focus and begins to take your thoughts and your energies and begins to become more important to you than your love for the Lord and of his church and for his word, when it begins to take that type of hold in your life, you become, regardless of what you think or say, you become one who loves material possessions. And it can be a very dangerous and very hurtful thing when uh, 
when your life becomes focused on the material to neglect of the spiritual. We might look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Those were starting in verse 6 of that passage. You'll notice some of the very words of which, of which our passage is dealing with. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced them through with many pangs. Jesus reminds us that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he has. Life is not about material possessions. We're glad we're having them. Thank God for them. But that can't be our focus and can't be our life. So the first part don't love money. Don't be focused on material. The second part of it is be content with such things that you have. Uh, and the reason it's given that you can be content is in the word for. Be content with such things that you have for. Here's a reason you can be content. He has said, this is the Lord has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That one who is faithful and true has told us a statement. He will not leave us or forsake us. For in him we find one most beautiful and most lovely and most glorious and most worthy. In him we find one that satisfies the heart as nothing in this world ever could do. In him we find um, the joy, the meaning of life that that's found nowhere else. So when you find your meaning and your contentment and your joy in the Lord, and he is most precious to you, as he should be to every one of us who are Christians, then you can be content whether you have a lot of money or whether you have little, whether you have good health or whether you have bad. Whatever your circumstance, you can be content because why? He has said, the one who is most precious, the one who satisfies your soul, the one who is a treasure beyond all compare, what has he said? I will never leave you or forsake you. So with that, you can have a, Great confidence, and not only is he with you, that's what he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, but he is there to help you. That's why the next verse speaks of him as a helper. And he's your helper, and he's your rock, and he's your defense, and he's your fortress. And uh, uh, he will be with you in the trials of life. You may go through the floods, but they will not overflow you. You can go through the fire, and you will be going through these things, but you'll not be consumed. You can go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you'll fear no, no evil. Why? Because he is with you. And when that one who is the joy of your soul is with you, you can be absolute, absolutely content when you find in him your peace, your joy, 
and your contentment. And you notice in that sixth verse, it says, so he has said, verse five, so we may boldly say, when our Lord says a statement, you can be certain that it's true. And you as a believer can say it with all confidence. Why? Because God has said it so. So you can, I don't care who you are, if you're a Christian, you can say with all the confidence in the world, The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. And he is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do to me. Well, these five precepts or commands are given to Christians. Now, there are some here today in this congregation who are not Genuine Christians. You're not a Christian because you say you are, and you're not a Christian because you think you are, and you're not a Christian because you believe the things that Christians believe, although that is very important. You're a Christian, of course, by the grace of God, but as far as your responses are concerned, you're a Christian when you place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, depending on him and him alone, his sacrificial death on the cross to deal with your sins, not in anything you are, anything you've done, but totally in Christ and looking to him and depending upon him and believing in him and casting your life upon him and trusting him completely as you uh, pour out your life to the Lord and become his follower. You're a Christian. That's what makes you a Christian. Faith in Christ. So if you're here and you're looking at your life, you're not certain whether you're a real, uh, genuine believer. Maybe you'd like to be. Let me urge you to talk to someone today. I'd be glad to talk with you. Any of our elders, deacons, anyone here. Be glad to just take a minute to sit with you, point you to the way, point you to our dear Lord. Give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, which is a very important thing to do. And you can walk out of here today saying, I'll not fear. The Lord is my helper because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then for you that are Christians here today, these five commands were given to us. And maybe the Lord has seen fit today to speak to your heart about Maybe one or two, all of them are for us, of course. But there may be one in particular that he's dealing with your heart about. Once you do business with God today, ask him to help you. Show, make these things clear. Ask him to strengthen you and help you that you might be the person God's called you to be. So we're going to take a few moments to pray and I would just invite you to call upon the Lord. Let him speak to your heart and your life this morning. If we take just a few minutes together. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I just, we come, first of all, thanking you for 
your gracious salvation, the mercy and grace that you've shown us, poor sinners that we are, for our dear Savior and all that that means. Lord, I pray for some even now who's pondering their standing before you. I pray, Lord, you might draw them to yourself and you might open their hearts and their minds and their eyes that they might see you in all your beauty and all your glory. Place their trust in the dear Lord, I pray. Lord, we desire to live a life that would be pleasing to you. We know it is for our very good and for your glory. So, Lord, we pray you would help us and strengthen us. Lord, if there's any of these areas particularly that you would begin even now to work on in a new way in our lives, we pray, Lord, you'd show us. Lord, you'd bring us to conviction of our failures. Lord, you'd give us, uh, Lord, that spiritual strength we need that we might grow and learn and become the people you'd have us to be. Help us in these areas, we pray, for your glory and for your honor. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.